God, so good. My name is Holly Worsley, and I am one of the elders here at Lake Forest, and I have the privilege and the joy of bringing the message this morning. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump right in. Father God, I thank you that even in this moment you are with us, your presence is here, your spirit is here, and that you, in the most amazing ways, desire to come and meet us exactly where we each are in our journey. Father, would you do that? Would you do that through your word this morning, through the power of your spirit? Would you meet us in our story exactly where we are, but would you not leave us as we are? Would you change us? Would you grow us? Would you challenge us? Would you strengthen us? Father, we ask that you would do that, and we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I've shared um, a number of times when I've had the chance to bring the message at Lake Forest that I became a Christian when I was a freshman at Chapel Hill. And I'd really never read um, the Bible at all. I knew a few stories just from hearsay, but I, I knew so little of the scriptures. And so not long after I became a Christian, there was a knock on my door. And I went to answer it. And it was a group of people that had come to share with me what they believed about faith. And as I listened, they finally came down to this one point that really rattled me. Because I was such a new believer that I had no idea what to say to it. They said, did you know that in the Bible, Jesus never claims to be the Son of God? And I said, yes, he did. And they said, no, 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 he he didn't. Show me where. See, the problem was that Jesus and his disciples were Jewish. Well, that wasn't the problem, but they were right. He was speaking and writing to a Jewish people in a Jewish community, and I didn't know any of the Old Testament scriptures, none of them. And so I didn't know that over and over and over again, Jesus had said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. He said it over and over and over again, but I hadn't learned to see it yet. And that same falsehood is why the Apostle John, who wrote 1 John that we're studying, it's why this old man picked up his pen again. Legend has it that John lived to be more than 100 years old. And so when he's writing 1 John, he's an old man. I mean, he's 80 plus somewhere years, years old. And he picks up his pen because two falsehoods have happened in his church these were people that were, that were Christians, that had been walking with him and following Jesus. And then they broke off and they started telling two falsehoods about the faith. They said, you know, Jesus was never really fully human. Michael Flake talked about that a couple weeks ago. You can go back and listen to it. But then they said this, his death and blood were not enough to save us. They were spreading this falsehood that his death and blood were not enough to save us, that he had never actually claimed to be the Messiah. And John picks up his pen, and you can hear the urgency in his writing. He says, no, I was there. I was there, and surely his mind went back immediately to what we call the Last Supper, which was when John and the other disciples and Jesus celebrated the Passover, the night before Jesus would die. 
The Passover, by the time of Jesus walking on the earth, was both a remembering of how God had delivered his people, and it was also a looking ahead to that one day, on the night of the Passover, the Messiah would identify himself. He would say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, I've come to deliver my people forever. So it was both a remembering and an anticipation of the Messiah. John would have, would have remembered all sitting there that night. Jesus and the disciples celebrating the Passover supper. But first the remembering. What were they remembering? If you've never led the Bible like I hadn't, um, when I was 20 and came to Christ, the story is in Exodus 12. But it's the story of God's people, the Israelites, who are descended from a man named Israel, and his family multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and became a nation, God's people, the Israelites. And over time, through a series of events, they became greatly oppressed and enslaved under the great Egyptian empire. Until they cried out and cried out, And cried out, God, save us, we're your people. Will you set us free to worship you again? And so finally, after years and years and years of people, God's people begging him to come and deliver them, God sends a deliverer named Moses. Moses comes to the Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh's heart is hard and it's stubborn because Pharaoh actually believed he was a God. So when Moses said, will you release God's people? He said, I'm God. I don't even know what you're talking about. Those people aren't going anywhere. And so God did miracle after miracle after miracle through Moses. Some people think that the plagues were, were a sign of, you know, God's wrath and his punishment. And, and I guess in one sense they were. But to me, they were also a sign of God's patience. God's mighty patience. Miracle after miracle after miracle, even his own false magicians after the third miracle said, that's of God. Stubborn heart. I will not let my people go. And so God said, one, one last miracle. And he instructed Moses what to say. And Moses went to the Israelite nation and he spoke to every Israelite father. And he said, here's what you're to do. You're to get a young male lamb thriving male unblemished so no no scars no disease no blemish of any kind and you're to slit its throat and then they would take a basin and they would let the blood of the lamb drain into this basin and then he said i want you to get a hyssop branch the hyssop branch grows in the middle east it's very absorbent the flower and the leaves are very absorbent and he said to every man who is the head of a household, take that bowl of blood and dip the hyssop branch in that blood. And then go to the outside of your home and take that blood. And can you see it? Just the mess draining down, the blood draining down. And they were to paint the lamb's blood over the doorframe of their house. And the blood's draining down and the blood would have stained the doorframe permanently it was to be a permanent outward sign that that family had completed the sacrifice and that night that home that was covered in the blood of the unblemished the perfect lamb would be spared from death 
because of the lamb's blood. They were to roast the lamb and eat it and take in unleavened bread and take in bitter herbs. But that night as they slept, the blood of the lamb was over their household and God sent the angel of death into Egypt that night. And every household that had the blood of the lamb was spared from death, but every household that did not, the eldest son, no matter how old he was or how young he was, died, including Pharaoh's son. And Pharaoh wasn't repentant. He was just done. He said, go, be gone. And so that's the remembering of the Passover meal. It was when God said, every year, You're to celebrate this meal. You're to celebrate the Passover meal to remember. Because I don't want you to forget that I delivered you. Fast forward, it's the night before Jesus would die. The Passover meal is now some more than a thousand years later. Every year has been celebrated. Jesus grew up and his disciples grew up and his family grew up. Every year celebrating the Passover meal, except now a Jew was to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the meal. And so every year they they said that some two million Jewish people would descend on Jerusalem. Some 250,000 lambs would be slain. And now that, that slaying of the lamb happened at the temple. And the priest would line up in a line because there were so many lambs and the lamb would be slain and they would fill up the basin with the blood of the lamb and the priest would pass it to the next priest who would pass it to the next and down the line and they would keep slaying lambs and then the last priest would throw the blood on the altar of God. And then the disciples would have taken this lamb back to celebrate the Passover meal together. And, and they would have begun the Passover meal. And the thing about the Passover was it was more than a thousand years of celebrating. And the script was always the same. The father, the head of the household, would say the exact same thing every year. Everybody knew the script. The kids knew the script. It was always the same. It would start off with the son saying, Dad, what's different about this night than every other night? And he would start telling the story of God delivering his people, and everybody knew the script. And so as they began to celebrate the Passover meal together, the disciples and Jesus, suddenly he changes the script. The the height of the Passover meal is always about the sacrificial lamb, but he doesn't even mention it. He begins to talk about his own body and his own blood. Jesus changed the script that had been said for over a thousand years since the very deliverance of people from Egypt. He changed the script, and the disciples would have been stunned. There would have just been this silence, just this awe. And Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood, and this is a new covenant which will be poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus said what they had been waiting for. He said, I'm the Messiah. 
It's no longer lamb after lamb after lamb. It's me, the one perfect lamb of God, the son of God. I'm the Messiah. The disciples would walk with Jesus to Gethsemane, a garden. The soldiers would come and arrest him. He would be put on trial. He'd be mocked. And just as he was dying on the cross, just right before he died, he looked down and he said to John, who wrote First John that we are reading today, he said, John, she is now your mother. To Mary, his mother. Mom, he is now your son. And John took Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his home. And then Jesus said this, It is finished. The last thing that would always be said at the Passover meal was, It is finished. The cup of finish. Jesus very clearly claimed to be the Messiah. But what he did that night, was he said, it's no longer an exodus from slavery in Egypt, it's an exodus from slavery to sin. What Jesus provided that night in being the one perfect lamb was, you now can have an exodus from being a slave to your own sin. It was no longer a promise of a land, of Canaan and Jerusalem, it was the promise of a kingdom. The heavenly kingdom that's available to all that believe in Jesus. And you can hear the urgency as John writes. Think about this. All the other 11 disciples are dead. He's the only one left. He's the only one that was at that Passover meal, that reclined with Jesus, that heard him change the script. He's the only one left. You can hear the urgency in his voice as he writes this. He says, and this is his commandment, Jesus' commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. All who obey his commands abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. Friends, John was writing, end of his life. You have to know this. To belong to God, to be a Christian, to be a follower of God, you just have to believe in the name of Jesus. Believe that that night he claimed to be the Messiah, he showed himself to be the Messiah, that he resurrected, that we saw him, we ate with him, he appeared to us, we touched him. You just have to believe in the name of Jesus. But look what else John says there. He says that the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus, will live in those that belong to him. The same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus will live in those that belong to him. Now let me, let me just say this. Let me stop there for a second. And I want to say this. We have an incredible ability as people to get used to the miraculous. Amazing things that are in our life every day. And, and we just get used to them. Like they're nothing. Guys, I'll point to you because mostly college. When I was in college, no cell phones, okay? Here's what you had. You had a a whiteboard on your door. Every dorm had a whiteboard. Everybody's laughing. And if you wanted to meet somebody somewhere, you wrote on their door, hey, meet me at the library at 12. If they saw it, they were there. If they didn't, they weren't. Boom, that was it. There was no cell phones. Then the bag phone came out, okay? 
My sister lived in Boston. She had to drive back and forth, and she had a bag phone, and I was like, man, I got to get one of those. It was like a small suitcase, but it was the first cell phone. And it was like, hey, check me out, right? Me and my suitcase phone. Do you know that the iPhone only came out 11 years ago? Who, who in here remembers what you had before the iPhone, right? Flip phone, baby, flip phone, yep. A Blackberry, maybe, if you were really cool and important, you had a Blackberry. Doesn't it seem like the iPhone's always been here? That Siri's always been right at our beck and call? I was teaching a group of first graders this week, and um, I tried to pull something up on Siri to show them a picture. And, of course, Siri didn't understand me, and it didn't work. And one of the first graders immediately said, Oh, Alexa's so much better than Siri. <laughs> what? Yeah, turn on my lights, Alexa. Play my song, Alexa. What do you think Alexander Graham Bell would say about the iPhone? <laughs> we get used to amazing like it's nothing. And then we wait for the next thing. And John has said in 1 John, as we've been going through the weeks, the past weeks reading it, listen to what he has said. If you believe in the name of Jesus, you're adopted into God's family. You become a child of God. Not because you deserve it, because of his lavish love and goodness that he has poured out on us. John is writing to us today that the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus will live in us if we believe in the name of Jesus. And that that Holy Spirit will change us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit will actively be changing us from the inside out. Friends, have we gotten used to that? Do you know that the scripture says that the angels long to know how God would reconnect himself to his people. They long to know it. Do you know that Abraham and, and Isaiah and Deborah and Rahab, and it doesn't matter if you don't know who they were, they lived and followed God long, long, long ago. They longed to be filled with God, but they followed him faithfully, never having been filled with God. People in John's community were pretending that Jesus never really emptied himself of his God powers. They said that he just pretended to not be God, and then when he needed to do a miracle, he just kind of pulled out the God stuff and, and did the miracle. But that's not what the Bible says. In Philippians 2, it says, He who, Jesus, being very nature, in, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He laid down his godship, and he became fully human. He felt fear. He felt pain. He wept. He longed for people to be healed. He, he cried over the brokenness of our world. He grew up in a family. He had friends. He was fully human. So you say, well, if he was fully human, how did he do the miracles? When Jesus began his ministry, he came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I, 
I can't, I shouldn't even untie your sandals. I'm not baptizing you. And Jesus said, no, 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 I need to be baptized. And so he descended into the water and the God, the one God that we experience in three distinct persons, the Godhead showed up. The son was being baptized and the father said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. The same Spirit that lives in Jesus lives in us. And you say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, I have asked Jesus to lead my life. I'm doing the best I can to follow him. And you say, same Spirit is in Jesus that's in me. And I haven't done a miracle like all week. Like the whole week. So what's the deal? Well, friends, we have static on the line. We have a brokenness in us. Jesus was fully human, but it was pre the fall. It was he was sinless. He had no static on the line. He heard the Spirit completely clearly. He heard the Father completely clearly, and what the Father told him to do, he did, and nothing else. He was empowered by the Spirit with no brokenness to interrupt it. Our brokenness looks like when we're less than honest when we fudge expense reports, when we're unloving, when we know we shouldn't say it and we still spout out the cutting remark, when we're not grateful, when we gossip, when we close our eyes to the poor, when we pretend like racism is not rampant, when we commit a selfish act, when we fail to be generous, our brokenness, it causes us to have trouble to hear the Holy Spirit. We struggle to hear Him But he still, do not be mistaken, he is still remaking you from the inside out when you belong to him. I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking that um, it's been 31 years since I was a freshman at Chapel Hill, and I prayed to accept Christ. 31 years. 31 years trying to follow after Jesus. Um, And and to be honest, when I look at my day-to-day life, I still get really frustrated with my brokenness. I mean, when I look at it day to day and week to week, there's still some things about me that I just think, oh, I wish that wasn't something I struggled with. I wish that wasn't a part of my life. I wish that thing in me didn't hurt the people I love. And I get frustrated by my brokenness. But then this week I thought, oh, wow. I took a long, hard look at me 31 years ago. A woman who believed that Maybe she wasn't lovable. A woman that was, appeared to be a leader that was full of fear. A woman that had so much brokenness that God has over the years reached in and healed. A, a woman who needed God to literally resurrect joy in her life. And it was when I took the long look that I realized he's been doing it. He's been remaking me from the inside out. And yes, in the short term, there are things that aren't going to get fixed until heaven, and that still grieves me. But he's doing it. Inside out, remaking, healing. John Newton wrote the amazing hymn, (laughs) Amazing Grace. And his job 
was what everybody in the world was doing in his sphere. It was, he was a slave trader. And I've stood in the place where the ships would launch from Africa. And I've, I've stood in, in that space and they would cram these people in a space that was so small that they couldn't even sit down. They, they had to relieve themselves standing up and it mixed in with the small amount of water that they had poured down a drain in the middle of that space so they wouldn't die. And then they loaded them on a ship and, and when they died, the weakest died, they just tossed them over the side. They didn't care. They were still going to make money on the other side. And when they got to America, they sold them. But one time when Newton was in the middle of the Atlantic, a great storm came up, and it was a mighty storm. And even for an established sailor, he thought, I die tonight. And he remembered his mom telling him about Jesus his whole life. And in fear that this was the night he would die, he knelt down on the deck of that boat as waves crashed over the boat, and he asked Jesus to forgive him and to lead his life. But here's the thing. He kept trading people for 10 more years. Why? The God of the universe had come into your life and you're going to keep trading people because God had to remake John Newton slowly. God had to change the fact that he saw trading people as normal because that was what everybody in the world was doing. It was normal for the world, and so he saw it as normal. And the Spirit had to slowly remake him and give them the eyes to see. These are humans. These are beloved of God. And so finally he stopped. And then years passed by, and he went to his friend Wilberforce in the parliament in England, and he said, you have the power to stop this. We have to stop this. And for three decades they fought slavery in the parliament of england three decades and when they finally won that began the end of slavery in america john newton at the very end of his life wrote this i am not the man i wish to be i am not the man i hope to be but by the grace of god i am not the man that i used to be Holy Spirit, slowly remaking him over the years. That's the promise of the Messiah when we believe in the name of Jesus. So I don't know if that's the first time you've ever heard that. If it is, maybe maybe entertain it. What do I really think of that? Do I believe that? I don't know if maybe you've gotten used to the fact that the things that the angels long for and people for thousands of years desired that we are living in. If you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life slowly remaking you. I don't know if maybe you've gotten used to that. Or maybe you've committed your life to Christ, but you need to lean into him. Like really abide in him. Really dig down roots in him so that this thing that God wants to do in you can be let loose. It can really happen. I'm not sure where you are today, but this is where John ends the passage we're looking at today. He says, the world will try to squeeze you into its mold. It will try to convince you of things that are false. But then he writes this, old man John, 
He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The world will try, but he who is in you is greater than he, than that that is within the world. Let me pray for us. Father God, we should, we should be saddened by our brokenness. But our hope, our hope is in the fact that you have made a way for us not to be slaves to our brokenness anymore. It doesn't have to own us. It, we do not have to be slaves to it. Because you, through your body and your blood, you delivered us if we will just believe in the name of Jesus. And then you will come and dwell with us, within us. And you will remake us from the inside out. And it won't be perfect until heaven, but that's where the hope is, Father. That we are becoming because of you. We are being made new because of you, because of your power. And the end of time brings a heavenly kingdom where you will welcome your children home. Lord, that is so incredible. And we are so humbly grateful. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.